0: Welcome back to Race Report, everyone, and welcome to the very first Race Report podcast. And we're kicking off in a big way, but first, let me just do a quick introduction for you. We are now live on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify Podcasts as well. So if you prefer to listen rather than watch, you can do on those platforms. And that goes for all of my videos now as well, not just these podcast episodes all my videos going forward will now be on those platforms as well. So if you fancy listening along whilst you're driving, you know, whilst you're at work, you can now do that as well. So feel free to subscribe on those platforms. I will, of course, put those in the description below. I am also looking for questions and comments to include as part of the podcast. Obviously, it's a bit of a longer format, so I am looking to incorporate some of your feedback as well. So if you have any questions for me, questions about my content, questions about F1, anything at all, do throw them in the comment sections. I will pick them up and I will use them as part of the show. If you think there's any guests you'd like to see on, do let me know about those as well. Can't obviously guarantee it, but I will try my best. Now, without further ado, let's get stuck straight into the show, shall we? Well, Welcome everyone to the Race Report podcast. Welcome back. And uh, I have a special guest with me today. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the show, Jack Aitkin. Welcome, Jack, to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Nice to be
0: here. Brilliant to have you, Jack. I'm so glad you've joined us today. And um, what we're going to be talking about today is I've got a few questions for Jack to answer. Obviously, uh, you're uh, quite popular and um, got a lot of knowledge that I'm sure a lot of fans will want to know. Um, So I've got a few questions for you. And uh, we're also going to be covering a few news stories of, that have popped up over the course of the off-season as well. Let's look straight in, shall we? Um, so, Jack, how, <laughs> how did you get into racing? How did that How did that happen for you?
1: Well, uh, that was um, quite a while ago now. Um, when I was seven, more or less, um, I started uh, doing some, some karting, Um Just through chance, really. I say by chance, my family was always into F1 um, and into cars, so um, probably not that big a coincidence, but we went karting one day, really enjoyed it, um, and just kept asking to go back, basically, um, until my parents relented and they would take me back, um, and then that turned into getting my own car, and then my brother started doing it as well, Um, so it turned into a bit of a family thing uh, that we would do on weekends, which was nice. Um, but it was more of a hobby um, than than actually um, taking it too seriously at the beginning. Uh, it wasn't until I was a teenager that probably we started to commit to it a little bit more. That meant trying to take um, a bit more time out of school to do practice and competitions in Europe and uh, racing with bigger teams. Um, and it, it all just kind of uh, progressed from there, really.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So you, you were actually allowed to take time off of school to go and do races, were you?
1: Mm, uh, sometimes. <laughs> it, it was not easy because um, my parents didn't want to take me out of school, which were, you know, that's completely fair enough. Um, but my school was more academic than sporting. Um, so they weren't always um, too happy about me taking that much time off. So it was a bit of a struggle sometimes um but yeah occasionally i was able to to do that
0: oh that's really cool i'm sure uh, every kid would have uh, would wish they could do the same at their age i bet
1: <laughs> well it's not that glamorous when you have to take your history textbooks with you because you got an exam on monday so you know sounds oh, no. better than it
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure homework on the road must have been a bit of a bummer
1: yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the best, but you know, we, we may do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, one of the things I've always been interested in is how quickly, um, you know, drivers progress up the field, like especially at the early ages there. Um, like how did you find that and how did you find like switching teams and going into different formula, um, uh, so rapidly?
1: I, uh, I found it quite okay for the most part. Um, some, You know, scenarios were a bit different, but generally stepping into a different car, I I never had huge trouble with um, because I felt quite comfortable quite quickly um, in whatever I drove. Um, Probably the harder part to get used to was as you move up the ranks, um, the dynamic of um, the sport changes a little bit and it becomes a bit more, um, you have less track time um, for each sort of race event that you get um and you have to make more out of the time that you do get so there's a bit of a mindset shift that you have to have um it becomes a bit more business orientated because things get uh, more expensive uh, so you have to be more you know savvy about uh, where the budget comes from and sponsors partners uh doing deals with teams and um yeah that side becomes a lot a lot um, bigger than when you're in your early years and you, you really don't have to think about that at all you can just kind of turn up to the track um, so you know that's probably the biggest part of it but yeah no, so on the driving side at least it, it was never that, that big a deal, I was quite happy jumping into different stuff
0: oh, That's quite interesting to hear I imagine it, it um, ages you quite quickly when like if you're a young man uh, just trying to get on with your driving then you have to deal with all these business influences that are coming to you Um, I imagine that could be quite tough.
1: Yeah, well, it's good because it forces you to learn about this stuff at a relatively early age. Um, So I feel like I've had quite a good education out of that. Um, So I I do know what I'm looking for a bit more when I approach uh, potential sponsors and partners. I know a bit more how to speak to them, what they would expect out of a relationship. Um, so you know, it's it's all part of the learning process, and um, I've definitely got quite a lot out of my sport in that sense.
0: Oh, fantastic! That's brilliant. Um, so the majority of F1 fans will know you from your time as Williams reserve driver, and uh, and at Renault before that. Uh, so you can tell us what uh, what's involved in that job a little bit.
1: Yep. Uh, so reserve driver um, typically is. A younger driver uh, than the races although that's not always the case but they're a guy who's uh, trying to break into the race seats and um for me at least um i first became a reserve driver when i was in gp3 uh, which is now known as formula three um so fairly early um and it just means that you have to be ready to jump in the car to replace them uh, the, the main race drivers should they be injured or uh, ill anything that prevents them from from racing, really. So you have to be physically ready, which means spending a lot of time uh, in the gym. Um, You have to be, you know, up to speed with the car and um, know all of the procedures and what all the buttons do uh, and all of that um, homework needs to be done um, in the background. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, being in a constant state of readiness for a very small chance that something might happen, which uh, can be a bit of a weird place to be. Um, but if you if you do that role well, and you do some of the testing that um, usually goes with that and perform well, uh, that can end up um, in, a, in a race seat. So um, a lot of young drivers aim for that. Oh,
0: fantastic. No, it's brilliant to learn about that stuff because it's not something us fans really get to see all that much. Um, of course, we were lucky enough to see you in the car one time um, when George Russell was promoted into the Mercedes seat and uh, and you got your shot um at secure, I believe it was right
1: yeah, yeah, so it was it all came together quite last minute um it was i think tuesday um no wednesday morning that i I knew um and that had been twenty four hours of waiting on phone calls and um sitting patiently in the hotel, but uh finally it did happen. And then from that point on, it's quite flat out. Really, you, you get to, um, you have to go to the track and just make sure that you try and, um, learn everything as quickly as possible. Cause I was ready, but, um, there are things that are specific to the race. weekend that, you know, you have to get up to speed with, you have to make sure that you fit in the car, um, all of these little things that you don't really think about, um, and dealing with all of the press and the media, which, uh, becomes a really big part of your life when you're in F1, um. And the weekend flew by for me, uh, really, So, which was good and a bad thing because um, I was able to just crack on with the work and, um, you know, try and make as good an account of myself as possible. Uh, but then on Monday, I had to sit back and sort of digest everything of what had just happened because um, it's obviously a, a bit of a, um, a lifetime experience, a once-in-a-lifetime experience for a lot of people. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh that sounds fantastic so it was monday all just about savoring savoring what you've just been through that kind of thing
1: a little bit yeah i mean there was a bit of um there's always a bit of frustration afterwards uh, because you feel like you could have always done a better job um but for the most part i was quite happy with the job that i did actually and um just keen to try and have another go um as, as you know um, I think that's natural as well. So, yeah, it was generally positive thoughts afterwards, which is nice.
0: Absolutely. That's brilliant. Well, um, we did see you in, um, well, the last time we saw you was in Abu Dhabi first practice, so literally the last F1 race uh, that happened. And it uh, looked like you did quite well there as well. You, uh, you, out-qualified, well, you beat both of the Hasses and, uh, and your teammate, Nicholas Latifi, as well. So how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I was um, pleasantly surprised at how well it went because it had been um, pretty much a full year since I'd been in the Williams because um, I hadn't been needed um, last year, really, uh, which is a good good thing for, for the team, but um, obviously a bit sad for me. So um, I was a bit um, concerned about how quickly I'd be able to get back up to speed because compared to a normal test day, the FP1 session is very short. Really, you've got... Um, uh, you get three runs. The first two runs are maybe five laps each, um, and then the sec- the last run, sorry, is a bit of a longer run, maybe seven or eight laps, uh, and that's it. So you, you really have to dive in at the deep end. And um, if you don't want to take too many risks, then you end up being quite cautious. And it's you know you have to remember that you're not racing the car that weekend. It's um, in this case it was it's George's car. Uh, so if you crash it and uh, they run out of bits. Um, that's a pretty bad um, situation to be in so you do have to take a degree of caution uh, having said all of that um, yeah it went really well and I, I was uh, pretty comfortable in the car and um, I think everyone was pretty happy with um, with the performance which is always good um, and then after that I was the spectator for the rest of the weekend which turned out to not be such a bad thing because <laughs> it's funny to watch
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet that was one of the one of the best races to be a spectator for, eh?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was just incredible. Even because I feel like a lot of the F one paddock, you know, you become a bit not numb to it, but um, it's normal that if you see something a hundred times, you're a little bit less um, reactive to it because uh, you've probably seen it before. I don't think anyone's seen a, a finale. Like that one before, and it, the the whole paddock was just electric afterwards. It was it was pretty amazing.
0: Oh wow, yeah! Like to be a fly on the wall there would have oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> uh, so that's great. So um, so I suppose uh, the next question, for you, uh, is what you up to next year or this this coming year, I should say. Um, any any plans um, at all racing wise?
1: Highly top secret. <laughs> um now I can tell you a little bit um you should should be able to hear more about my plans in the next couple of weeks hopefully um you know c- contracts are kind of being drawn up and finalized, which is good because uh, the season will start in, in a month or a half uh, month and a half or so um I I'm gonna stay in in Europe doing uh, similar stuff to what I did last year in the endurance space. Um, I really enjoyed it last year and i got a lot out of it and i kind of want to keep going along that that journey because uh, i'm learning a lot uh, i always raced in single seaters in junior formulas which is you know uh, the, the level of competition is amazing um, but it's um, it's quite a singular um format of racing and i repeated it for many years so last year to step out of that and do something different was just really refreshing and I met a lot of new people because it's a different, uh, paddock and different teams, different drivers. And that was really cool getting to know everybody. And, um, it's, it's quite a nice environment and, um, I, I feel like I've got un- unfinished business, um, cause we missed probably the biggest race of the lo- year last year when I had that crash at spa. Um, so I want to have another crack at that and, uh, maybe some of the other big endurance races are coming along. So, um. Yeah, hopefully you'll you'll get the final news soon, but something along those lines.
0: Oh, fantastic. Definitely looking forward to that then. Uh, it's interesting what you said about the GT racing because, uh, yeah, like I uh, actually have in my notes, so you took your first steps into GT racing last year. Um, it's interesting you say like it's a, it's a new thing. So do you like seek out these new racing experiences and stuff like that? Because it's not something we see a lot of um, F1 drivers or aspiring F1 drivers make that switch very often.
1: Yeah, I think uh, on a human level, there was a desire to do something different. Um, you know, the, the drive to, to get to F1 can be quite all consuming. Um, and that's almost, that's quite fun at times in itself because to, to really throw yourself that one uh, goal for a long time is, um, it takes a lot of commitment and it, it you know, leads, leads you down paths where you're turning over every little stone to try and find an advantage, which can be great. But like I said, I've been doing the same thing for a long time, whether that was F3 and then F2. Um, and I just didn't feel like I had more to gain from it, um, particularly because I didn't have the budget anymore to be with the, the top teams in Formula 2. Um, so your chance of winning is, is very low. Um, so why not take you know um, the resources that we did have and have a proper go at doing something different where I was going to learn a new format of racing uh, force myself to share with teammates and compromise, and maybe have to drive a car that isn't perfectly suited to me all the time. Um, and yeah, so it, it was great to, to do something different. And um, you know, I still kept my foot in in F1 by being the reserve for Williams, uh, which hopefully that, that will continue in some form as well. Um, so I have, you know, I have my foot in in, in one foot in in each as it were, and. Um, they've been really supportive of, of that as well.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that sounds very exciting. Like, yeah, you've got best, hopefully, best of both worlds.
1: Yeah, hopefully. It, it is quite interesting seeing um, more young drivers trying different stuff, whether that's, you know, quite a few guys going over to IndyCar this year, mm. uh, like Callum Eilop, who I raced with in F2 and subsequently last year against in GT as well. Uh, so he's doing a similar thing. Uh, Christian Lundgaard's going over there um in gt we're getting more more people trying it lmp2 um in the prototypes there's a lot of um 3 and f2 guys who are making a mark um so it's a bit of a trend which is you know cool to see oh
0: brilliant great oh uh, well, you kind of touched on it a little bit in uh, in that period there uh, but you did have quite a serious incident at a spa um where you came away with quite serious injuries uh, i think you fractured your vertebrae and your collarbone right
1: yeah yeah so um like i mentioned it was the biggest race of the year for us uh the the 24 hours of spa um so longest and most prestigious um we qualified pretty well i'm you know my teammates uh, and i we were all rookies uh, to gt racing last year um so i don't think a lot was expected of us but uh, we qualified we were p2 uh but then the lap got taken away for um a dubious track limits infringement i didn't say that it was of course completely the correct decision <laughs> um but then we, we were still in like just outside the top 10 um which is pretty good um and unfortunately about halfway through my first stint um when we were looking pretty fast i, I lost the car going through a rouge which is the fastest corner at, at that track and there's there's not a lot of runoff so i hit the barrier um, and then, uh, the barrier smacked me back out onto the, the track and I got hit by a couple of cars that were coming through. Um, so it's probably the biggest accident of my career and, um, the, the injuries that you mentioned, I've only really in the last month or two, um, completely come out. I, I can't even really say that I'm completely recovered. There are nagging things that are still going on. Um, but I'm out, you know, going to the gym again, I'm riding my bike, going running and I can do all of that stuff relatively um okay so um but yeah it was it was a couple of months basically of bed rest um because the collarbone i had surgery t- to fixate that with a plate uh cuz it was uh, it was quite a bad break um but the back there's nothing to be done for it it was stable um but i you know i just have to wait for the bone to heal itself um and then in the third month i was able to start uh, mobilizing myself again and try to build up some of the muscle around my, uh, the, those vertebrae again, uh, some strength in my arm. And I did get back in the car. Um, I think it was at the end of three months, it was 10 weeks or something like that, uh, for the last round of GT. Um, and then obviously got back in the, the F1 in Abu Dhabi a month after that. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it was, it was a bit unfortunate <laughs> to say the least, but, um, luckily it wasn't worse, which it easily could have been. Um, and as with any big injury, um, it, you know, you learn quite a lot about your body and um, taking some some strength from that, so that's all good.
0: Oh, no, well, firstly, like, thankful you're all right and you're you're uh, mended or on the road to recovery, uh, so that's that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, like, it's we've had a few scary um, incidents at O'Rouge in in a couple of formula now, haven't we? Um uh, like they are, I think they are modifying the track slightly, right, to to kind of try and try and sort sort that issue out.
1: Yeah, I've seen some some images that show it that they've basically uh, tightened the radius of the corner, which will force the cars to be slower. Um, I think that you know, if we wanted to keep the corner the same, um, they would have to move the barriers back on the left-hand side as you go up, which were the barriers that I hit. The right-hand side is fine. They're, they're quite far back from the track, and there's a lot of um, tarmac runoff um, to slow down before you hit them. But on the left, there's there's barely any room. I mean, I think I I lost the car in right in the middle of the corner, um, which is you know, 250 kilometres an hour, um, and I only managed to scrub off 20 kilometers an hour before I hit the barrier because oh, right. um, there's not enough space um, and really they would have to, to change that but they can't because there's a big old house um, that sits on top of Arouche behind the barrier. I don't know whose house it is uh, or if it's just a circuit um, like admin building or whatever, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that's why they've chosen to change the profile of the corner instead.
0: Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, hopefully, hopefully that kind of uh, you know, mitigates the issue at least slightly, so we don't have these these super big incidents anymore. Um, coming out of that, how did like the rehab process? Like, did you bring anything out of that at all? Like, did you kind of think, start thinking differently out of that, or or is it a case of like just need to get back on the horse and get going again?
1: Um, I mean, I I actually broke my oh, I fractured a vertebra um before about uh, six years ago um so i kind of had some experience with it this was worse though because it was um it was a more severe fracture so it was going to take a lot longer to heal um and i'd never broken my collarbone before um, i mean so you know it was a bit I- ironic it felt like because um uh, barry who's the one who put me in touch with you to to get uh, to do this podcast, who rides bikes like, as I do. I like to ride my bike. People might know that. Um, I always thought I was going to get in trouble one day for falling off my bike and breaking my collarbone, which is a classic cyclist injury. all oh, right right. Uh, having to go, you know, um, hat in hand to my team and say, I've really fucked up here and I'm, I'm not going to be able to drive because I've injured myself. So, of course, I'd break my collarbone in the car instead, uh, which I really <laughs> wasn't expecting. But there you go. Um, so um but yeah the, the rehab was uh, like i said um not actually that intense it was just a lot of rest um the worst part is that you have to be very patient with it which i already knew from from having injuries in the past um and you you can do a lot more damage by do- trying to do too much too soon um than not doing enough um and i i'm quite guilty of that um you know, I, I was trying to do stuff and being and being told off because the fracture was still not um, really set enough. You know, the new bone hadn't come in and hardened that that site, um, so things could still move, and you know, that, that could be pre- pretty disastrous. Um, so um, you have to be very patient. Um, but then it's also amazing to see what the body can do by itself. Um, I was dosing up on calcium and vitamin D. Because um, those are things that will help bone growth uh, and just letting it uh, do its thing. And you see yourself gradually getting a little bit more um, flexibility in the spine again, being able to rotate just a little bit more before you get pain. Um, likewise for the collarbone, w- once I had the plate put in, which is quite a big plate, I mean, it, it was about that big. I mean, if, if we don't have video, it's um, about five, four or five centimetres across. Right. Um, and I went from based not being able to lift my own, um, arm, um, to lifting weights within a month. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I've, I've rambled a bit here, but, um, the things that I've really taken away from it were things that I already knew, which is, um, the body will do amazing things if you leave it alone and don't get in the way and, and start messing things up. Um, so, you know, patience, rest, and then when you do start coming back to training you're doing it in the right way in the right amount and being very you know deliberate and careful about it so yeah and i I didn't really have any issue getting back in the car um after that Uh, i've had bad uh, bad accidents before this is the worst that i've had um and i you know definitely i think um you're probably a bit psychopathic if if stuff like that doesn't affect you mentally um so it, it did affect me and it was quite scary to see how close I I could have been to some some very very serious injuries or or worse um but having said that I know what happened I was conscious throughout I know why it happened um, and I've understood all of that digested it and you kind of accept the risk and then you move on Uh, I already knew that there are risks with um driving cars personally I don't think that there's any more risk than going out and riding my bike on the road or um going to do um, you know, whatever extreme sport that I, I, I would like to do in the holidays so um, it's it's calculated and that makes it okay in my head to go back and do the same thing again.
0: Actually a, an answer, like a, a very similar answer to we hear a lot of drivers and I don't think, you know, us as fans can really um, you know, like understand that mindset because, you know, we, we see the big crashes and we're like, oh, that's really scary and stuff like that but yeah, that the the calculating nature of a racing driver is is always interesting to me because uh, you guys tend to always say like, yeah, like I ri- risk reward, it's worth it kind of thing.
1: I I, I kind of disagree. Well, I, I have a different perspective. Let's say, uh, what are your what's your what sport? Do you play or do you uh, have any hobbies? Uh, have physical activity.
0: Uh, my, my biggest one's definitely been football, but I've also been a weightlifter in the past as well. Um, so okay. I've ha- had a few bumps there, definitely.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I always look at it from the point of view that it's just what's normalised for, for you. So I I can't play football to save my life. Um, I've tried and crap, um, scarred from school. But anyway, uh, if if someone comes in, you know, studs up and slams into your ankle, and you get a pretty bad break. I can well imagine um, looking, you know, me looking from the sidelines as someone that doesn't play, doesn't understand why people go out every Sunday and play in the morning. Uh, I'd look at that and think, why the hell are you doing that? that you know, <laughs> the risk versus reward um, is just insane. Um, because you know, you know, you're completely unprotected. Da, 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 you, you know, it could affect your livelihood, etc., etc., etc. So I'm asking all the same questions that people ask me, uh, and the answer is just, well, that's you know, that's what I like to do. And I do it every Sunday and most of the time it's fine. Um, and I know the risks and I know what's going to happen. And yeah, there's a chance that something bad will happen. So, it, you know, it's it's really no different th- than that. You know, it looks very spectacular when I have a crash in my, it, you know, actually it's quite satisfying that I had a very spectacular crash because it would be a bit rubbish if you looked on YouTube afterwards and it's pathetic. But um, yeah, it looks spectacular. But the fact is the cars are so safe now. Um, and there's so many systems in place to keep the drivers safe um, that it looks a lot worse than it is.
0: That's a fantastic answer. And I hadn't actually hadn't thought about that. Like what do you think of other sports and their kind of their their aspects of injury? So that's really interesting. That's great to hear. My brother
1: plays rugby and I think he's absolutely insane. Boy, he <laughs> played rugby when he was at uni for his school, for his, uh, for his uni. And um, he's not the big, he's a big guy, but he's not the biggest guy on the team. And I watch him get slammed into again and again and, and throwing himself at the other guys who are like twice his size. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> you're asking for for like a concussion or something. I need to get some. It's the same thing. I was like, well, I don't understand, but clearly you're okay with it. So that's fine.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Well, um, that was quite an intense, quite an intense topic. So let's move on to something a little bit lighter um what, what do you get up to in your off season what do you enjoy doing when when you can like sit down and relax
1: uh i think the first thing i do is i i, I become very lazy in the off season um as i think a lot of people working in f1 do and rightly so because it's a very intense schedule there's a lot of travel and um, particularly the last couple of months of the season um you're going to some pretty far-flung places whether that's the americas uh, south america north america um you're going to the middle east um early in the season you might be in asia so but you know you you get thrown around all these time zones and by the time you get home you just want to chill out a a little bit Uh, at least i do i know some others do like to keep going and they go traveling and uh, have their own uh free time and holidays and actually get to explore and look at the places that they're going to um but yeah i like to chill out and just take it easy um, once I've had my fill of that, um, I do enjoy, um, training, uh, to an extent. Um, I like riding my bike, which I think uh, people who follow me will know that. Um, I like to run. I like to try new things, whether that's, um, I don't know, going on a hike or water sports, whatever. Um, I like being active, um, and then just trying to catch up with friends as well. Um, because again you know you're traveling so much during the year um you know the longest period that i'm at home is is now uh, in january is really the time when i can actually see people and get out um catch up with old friends or just be be around and be social so there's a lot of that as well
0: oh it's brilliant yeah like it must be um it must be strange to travel so much around the world um and then you don't even know what like if people are up, yeah, back home or anything like that, even if you just want to text or call them, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, you disconnect a little bit from, from home, um, especially when you're away for, sorry, for more than uh, a couple of races um, and you actually end up just focusing more on the people that you're traveling with. Um, so you often travel with your team. Sometimes, um, you know, there are multiple teams and people within those teams that you're all quite close to and um you just end up spending more time with them and well actually you're, you're social with those guys you have a drink in the evening you get dinners out in town when you have time um and at, at the track of course you know you're working but you, you still get to see people so um it's just moving from one um circle to another
0: okay that's brilliant does that quite form quite a bond within the team then when you are away uh, away at these tracks these distant tracks
1: yeah, yeah definitely i think especially when you're with a team for more than a single season, um, again, you know, in, in F1, there are mechanics, engineers, people who have been working there, um, for some of them for decades in, in the same team. Um, but you know, it's quite often that they're there for multiple years, several years, and you do form, form bonds and there's a bit of camaraderie within the teams, um, which is, it's nice. So yeah, for sure.
0: Oh, brilliant. Um, okay. I'll, um, we've seen uh, a little bit of a rise in um online sim racing um uh, recently with uh, we saw max verstappen take part in the uh, le mans 24 hours virtual and i think lando norris is involved in stuff like that as well Has that taken your fancy at all
1: yeah i've done a little bit of i did the, the le mans 24 hour virtual last year i actually managed to get on the podium um oh, but that was a little bit um, more due to my teammates than myself i dare say because they were um, quite accomplished sim racers which i am not um i did think about doing it again this year but my schedule just didn't really allow uh for enough practice um because i do have to practice quite a lot to get anywhere near the level that those guys who at who are doing it full time um but i do like doing it you know like i said before as you move up to the higher ranks um of racing track time becomes quite valuable and quite scarce. Um, So being able to do a bit of sim racing in the off-season or between races can be quite valuable. It's not going to give you the the exact same sensations and uh, feelings that driving the real car would, Um, but it's you being competitive, getting in the mental headspace of a race and uh, just going through those motions, which is, you know, it's got its value in its place as well.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, do, uh, like that sounds like you're pretty positive about it, and you can see this continuing for um, for other drivers then as well.
1: Yeah, I don't know, definitely. I'm I'm very positive about it. You know, Williams have quite a big esports uh, department, which I'm. You know, I, I hope um, we're. You know, we all get on quite well, and I like to do uh, the occasional race with them. Um, the main barrier for me is is the practice time, um, because like I said, to be competitive um i do have to put in quite a lot of effort and a lot of the events are endurance events um like the le mans 24 hours which means that you have teammates it's a little bit different if you're an individual competing and you know life gets in the way you haven't been able to practice you know fine Uh, when other people are relying on you then there's a bit of an obligation to to make sure you're doing what you should and um For them you know it's their livelihoods actually to do the the esports and the sim racing and they uh, they're looking at that prize money as quite a big thing whereas for people like me um it's not it's it's something that i do in my off season to keep sharp so that's you know you have to remind yourself that it's a lot more serious for these guys than it is for you you can't just drop in um, do it when you fancy
0: that makes a lot of sense yeah you don't want to let your teammates down when there's more riding for them than there is for yourself sort of thing yeah
1: yeah exactly I think last year when I did Le Mans virtual I did I I wish I'd you know tallied up the hours of practice that I put in but um I'm sure it was still less than what those guys did but um it was a lot (laughs) I I probably spent a month practicing for it during lockdown Uh, we had the luxury of time so that was fine um but you know, when I first started, I was seconds off the pace. Um, and, you know, even around a lap as big as Le Mans, uh, it was like three or four seconds um, every lap. Um, and I don't think I'm a bad driver. Uh, and I kind of whittled that down through, you know, days and weeks of training uh, to still being half a second off the pace and probably still crashing once every stint that I did in practice um but luckily i didn't do that in the race but you know it's bloody hard and the the level that they're at is it's astounding yeah
0: Yeah, absolutely sometimes when i watch them i'm like oh could they they do the real thing maybe and then we have we've seen one of the uh esports drivers graduate into f2 now haven't we um
1: yeah uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes i don't think he's with the um, the strongest team on the grid, but um they're they're not bad either, so yeah he, he could definitely get some results if he if he's uh capable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how he gets on for sure right I think that uh, I think that wraps up my my list of questions. um so we could pop into the the news uh the news stories right now. There's not a lot of them, to be <laughs> honest, Obviously it is the off season, so um not too much going on. Um, there is however some, uh, some f1 car announcement dates being flown around at the moment. it looks like we're getting pretty close to actually seeing some 2022 cars. so um, does that excite you quite a bit?
1: yeah i mean I, I always look forward to the launches um, I think every fan does because it's just exciting, especially when you get that um, the new cycle of rules coming in. Um, there's always that little bit of uh, wondering what are they going to look like, um, and you know, hoping that they look good. <laughs> I've seen some some renders. Um, I think they they will look good, um, and I also like a lot that they are going to be smaller um, than the previous cars because I think that they've been getting a bit bloated, both in in weight and in size over the last decade. Um, so this is the first time that they're actually going to reverse that a little bit, at least on the size department, not on the weight, sadly. Um, but yeah, very excited to see what, what people are going to come up with.
0: Yeah, the renders do look beautiful, don't they? Um, I'm kind of uh, waiting to see if there's any like loopholes that have been kind of uh, found in the regulations by any smart engineers out there. Um, see if we like spot can spot anything when they do get shown for sure. <laughs>
1: Yeah, sadly, I think people are so um, sensitive to that nowadays, or teams are, Um, a lot of the time the launch car that is presented is not the car that you will see rolling out in Barcelona for testing Um, because if they have found something, they don't really want um, people catching it early. Um, So, you know, I know know of teams who have even basically dressed up their uh, previous year's car in the new livery, maybe changed a few winglets here and there to make it not look completely the same, and then release that. And the only time that you'll see the new car is when it rolls out for testing on day one. Teams won't quite be able to do that this year, because obviously the regulations are such a big change. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they are quite sneaky nowadays.
0: <laughs> That's really interesting. I didn't know that at all. But it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because you don't want your, your competitors to see something. And then figure that out themselves, even before testing's happened.
1: Yeah, day one of testing is when you know the eagle-eyed viewers should be having a look at cars. Really
0: brilliant. Well, definitely looking forward to that for sure. Um, the only other thing I had on my news is actually the FIA inquiry into the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Uh, we've had some dates around when uh, the teams will hear and when um, you know the public will hear about that. But uh, beyond that, um, it seems like they're just going to take their time with it and kind of uh let people, you know, inside the teams have their feedback. there's not too much going on there, but um have you got any kind of uh thoughts about that at all?
1: I I think like um a lot of people I hope that um I just hope that positive things come out of it. I think we're, you know, there's quite a split opinion on uh, what happened in in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I myself struggle to form a really strong opinion because I, I can see it from both sides. Um, but, um, you know, clearly they, they feel the pressure. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have put in the inquiry in the first place. And, um, you know, whether that means changing of uh, procedure or personnel or just, um, the, you know, the communication between teams and the FIA. Um, something clearly has to change. There are a few things that have changed already. Um, I think you know Mercedes are very, very keen to see some some action taken. Um, wow. But um, yeah, and no, I I just hope that there's some clear um, positives and actions that we can take out of that whole situation, and hopefully move forwards and people can be relatively happy. <laughs> um, I know it, it's going to be a bit of a to some people no matter what they come up with um so that's a bit a bit tough
0: yeah it seems like one of those situations where they're not going to be able to satisfy all the parties but hopefully we can come to some sort of arrangement where at least it won't happen again in the future right
1: yeah you know i think it is an issue that has needed addressing um, and the issue that i mean is um just having a little bit more clarity around the rules I think it worked for a really long time with uh, Charlie Whiting when he was uh, heading up the the race direction because he had years and years of experience and um, he was very comfortable in his position. The teams were very comfortable with him and had a lot of respect for him, which is quite a crucial thing as well. Um, So the rules were never really interpreted any other way than than Charlie's way and uh, he was quite good at that and handling the whole situation. Now that we've had a couple of years uh, since unfortunately passed away and um, there are people coming up through the ranks to to rightly fill positions, um, there's a bit more flux going on. And indeed some of the drivers are pushing the limits of what you might consider okay or not okay. Um, So it is a very difficult um, time for everyone. And I don't think it's particularly anybody's fault, Um, but you know, things do have to change going forwards.
0: That's a really good way of seeing it, yeah. Absolutely. Um, cool. Well, that's all of our current, current news, really. Like I said, off-season is kind of sitting here waiting for the cast to get shown now, so uh, there's not too much going on. Um, so I think we'll wrap up there. Have you got anything um, you'd like to plug at all?
1: No, I don't, don't think so. I mean, it's off-season for me too, so I'm pretty relaxed. I'm like, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm on social media at um, Jay Aitken Racer pretty much on all my platforms um and we like to not keep it too serious around um our channels so yeah you yeah, know check it out if you want to
0: i'll be sure to include all of those in the uh description as well uh, below for anybody who wants to check those out and um thank you everyone for for joining us for for the podcast and thank you to jack as well for joining us it's been a brilliant time to chat with you uh, so thank you so much for coming on
1: Yeah, no worries.
0: Thanks for having me, first. How about that? What a way to kick off our very first podcast. A big thanks to Jack for coming on. If you want to see more, please do subscribe on YouTube or follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts as well. Hope you enjoyed and I'm looking forward to doing more of these over the 2022 season with you.